All right, my little ones, it's bedtime. You've got your pajamas on. You just got your teeth brushed. And so get all comfortable. Get that blanket all snuggled up underneath your chin. Grab your lovey and hold him close. Today, I'm going to read a couple of stories. You've probably watched these movies. And so what these stories are going to be, they're going to be a bit different. And that's okay. Stories a long time ago weren't through movies or in books. They were the way that people passed the time at night. People would sit around campfires and around huts and to pass the time they would tell stories. And so, and each person would tell the story just a little bit different. And so we always have a rich history of stories and they're all a little bit different but they're all it makes them all unique and a little bit special in their own way all right so everyone let's take a deep breath and let it out all right now let us begin. Beauty and the Beast There once was a man with three daughters who left home one day to seek his fortune. He asked his daughters what he could bring back for them. One asked for diamonds and jewels. One asked for dresses made of the finest silk. His youngest daughter, Beauty, asked for nothing but a single rose. The man set out. After some time, he came upon an old stone castle. In the garden was the most beautiful rose bush. Hello, the man called as he opened the gate. No one answered. He knelt down to take a rose for his daughter, Beauty. A shadow appeared and loomed over him. Who are you? A deep voice bellowed. Afraid, the man dropped the rose. How dare you trespass on my property? The creature yelled. I, I... But in his fear, the man could barely speak. He looked up at the towering figure. The creature was large, with the fur of a bear and fangs and sharp claws. You are my prisoner now, the beast said as he grabbed the man by the collar. I was just picking a rose for my daughter, the man managed to say. Please, please, spare me. A daughter, the beast considered this. I will let you go. Before the man could give a sigh of relief and run away from the beast as fast as possible, the beast spoke again. I will spare you your life. If you give me your daughter in your place. Grateful to be free, the man rushed home and in tears told Beauty what had happened. It's all right, father. I will go in your place, Beauty said. She was always the most selfless of his daughters. But he is a great and terrible beast. Beauty ignored her father's protests, satisfied that she was saving her father's life. She set off for the beast's castle. In my opinion, the dad should have just stayed there to keep his daughter safe. So, 
Well, hopefully this story gets better, though. The beast greeted Beauty warmly, and soon her fears dissipated. He gave Beauty anything she could ever want at the castle. Dresses and fancy jewelry, servants to prepare her food and make her comfortable. She knew her sisters would be jealous. Mostly, the beast left her alone, except every evening at 9 o'clock when he met her for dinner. They talked late into the night, and Beauty began to look forward to their conversations. Do you have everything you need, Beauty? I do, Beast. Will you marry me, Beauty? I can't, Beast. Every night, the Beast asked Beauty to marry him, and every night, she refused him. Until one night, when she asked, Why do you keep asking me, Beast? I enjoy your company, but I can't be your wife. Heartbroken, the Beast asked Beauty to promise him that if she wouldn't marry him, then she would never leave him. She had grown rather fond of him and wanted to make him happy. I will, Beast, but can I see my family one more time before I promise to stay here forever? The Beast managed... The Beast offered her a magic mirror that showed Beauty her family's home. Her sisters were married to wealthy merchants, and they looked happy. Her father, however, looked thin and pale. His face creased with worry. Oh, please, Beast, let me go to my father. I must see him, Beauty begged. The Beast couldn't stand to see Beauty upset, so he let her go. He gave her a gold ring. When he put it on her finger, she would be transported back home. When she took it off, she would be transported back to the Beast's castle. Before she went to bed, Beauty put on the ring, and the next morning when she woke up, she was back in her father's house. At the sight of her father, her father's face lit up. She assured her father that the Beast treated her well and that she was happy. Her father began to look less worried. As time passed, Beauty was so happy to be with her father and sisters that she started to forget about her Beast. Then, one night, she had a nightmare about her beast. She dreamed he was sick, with no one to care for him. The next day, she said goodbye to her family. Beauty knew she had to return to the beast, as she had promised. She took off the ring and was magically transported back to her bedroom in the castle. Beauty called out for the beast, but heard no response. Her voice echoed throughout the empty hallway. From outside her bedroom window, Beauty saw something among the roses in the garden. Beast! she cried and ran outside. The beast was lying sick, barely able to move. You came back, he said, his words struggling to get out. Oh, my beast! She cradled his head in her arms. I do love you, and I will marry you. The beast closed his eyes, and in an instant he was transformed. Gone were the fur and fangs and sharp claws. In Beauty's arms he turned into a handsome prince. I was cursed, Beauty. I was cursed to look ugly and frightening until someone should fall in love with me. I never thought you could love me. I do love you, Beauty said. They were married and lived the rest of their days as king and queen 
of the castle. The end. Cinderella Once upon a time, a beautiful girl lived with her evil stepmother and two evil stepsisters. The stepmother insisted that she wait on them, clean the house all day, and sleep in the soot of the fireplace. The stepsisters called her Cinderella because she was always covered in cinders. Cinderella followed their orders without complaint, but inside, she dreamed of leaving their house and falling in love. Stop daydreaming, the evil stepmother scolded. You can't sweep properly if you're not paying attention. Cinderella swept and scrubbed the floors until not even a speck of dust remained. Make me breakfast, demanded one stepsister. Cinderella obediently cooked eggs, fried bacon, and served her stepsister. Fix these buttons on my dress, the other, rather plump sister, said. Cinderella sewed the tiny stitches until her fingertips bled. Now go outside and tend to the chickens, they both shouted. So Cinderella went outside and fed the chickens and sang a sweet song about spring days to the field mice that poked their heads out of the grass. And this is how Cinderella's days slowly passed by. One fine day, a horseman galloped up the road and came to a stop before Cinderella. For the ladies of the house, he said with a slight bow, and handed Cinderella a large white envelope closed by the royal seal. Before Cinderella could consider reading it herself, her stepmother and stepsisters appeared in the doorway. They politely waved to the retreating horseman, then raced to Cinderella as soon as he was out of sight. Who was that? What did you want? What did he give you? The evil stepmother snatched the envelope from Cinderella and tore it open. She gasped. An invitation to a royal ball for all eligible ladies of the house, my dears, she said to her daughters. Do you know what this means? There's going to be a ball? The plump sister asked. Well, yes, of course, but this means that the prince must be looking for a wife. Isn't this just wonderful? One of my daughters will be a queen. Ahem, Cinderella piped up. It says all eligible ladies. Does that include me? You? At a ball? <laughs> Her stepmother laughed, and the two stepsisters joined in. What would you possibly do at a ball? Sweep the floor? Don't be silly. Now, Cinderella, prepare our baths. I want my daughters to be irresistible to the prince. Cinderella did as she was told. She drew water for their baths. She aired out their finest dresses, and she helped fix their hair. After they left for the ball, Cinderella went to her little bed near the fireplace and wept. As her tears splashed into the soot at her feet, something wondrous happened. An old woman who glowed with magic appeared before her. Who are you? Cinderella asked. I am your fairy godmother. Now dry those tears. You have a ball to attend. But how can I? said Cinderella. I am just an ordinary girl. I have nothing to wear to a ball, and I have no way to get there. 
With a snap of her fingers, the fairy godmother transformed Cinderella's rags into an elegant gown of the finest silk. Her brown, dirty hair, her, her brown, dirty shoes were replaced with silver slippers as delicate as glass. With a second snap, a magnificent coach led by six white horses appeared outside. Cinderella was astonished. Could all of this really be for her? You have until the clock chimes twelve times, Cinderella, the fairy godmother warned. The spell wears off at midnight. Cinderella ran out through the doorway, not wanting to waste any more of the time she had left before the spell wore off. At the ball, the prince was on the dance floor, waltzing with one of the stepsisters. Her sister waited jealously in the crowd, but the prince walked by her and caught another girl's eye. He excused himself to his partner and walked straight over to this beautiful and enchanting girl. "'May I have this dance?' the prince asked with a flourish. "'Who was this girl who was important enough to steal the prince from her?' wondered the stepsister." It was not anyone she had ever seen before. It was Cinderella. Maybe it was her lovely gown, or maybe it was the fairy godmother's magic, but not even her stepsisters or stepmother recognized her. Cinderella curtsied and took the prince's hand. Her stepsister scowled and rejoined her mother and sister in the audience. The prince spun Cinderella elegantly around the dance floor. Everyone watched and whispered, and wondered who this mysterious girl could be. Cinderella kept her eyes only on the prince. As one song ended and another began, the prince and the Cinderella continued to dance. He looked at no one else, and he danced all of his dances that night with her. After hours had passed, the prince asked the girl to walk outside with him. He wanted to find out who she was and where she had been all this time since he had never met her before. Cinderella took his arm and smiled and walked with him. My lovely lady, tell me, what is your name? Before Cinderella could say anything, the clock chimed. It was midnight. Cinderella knew she had to leave before the twelfth chime or he would find out what she really was. With barely a goodbye, she ran out of the palace and toward her coach. My lady, the prince called. Cinderella looked back at one last time, tripping over the steps. The prince tried to rush after her to help her, but she kept running, leaving a single slipper behind. Cinderella slept into the coach and strode out of the palace grounds as the twelfth chime sounded. As she drove away, the prince picked up her slipper. He asked his footman if he had seen the beautiful girl running by. He said he saw no one but an ordinary girl in a drab dress. The prince vowed to find this mysterious girl with this lost shoe. When he found her, he would marry her. The next day, the prince began his search. All the ladies in the kingdom wanted to try on the slipper, claiming that they were the prince's one true love. But girl after girl failed the test. Then, one day, while Cinderella worked in the kitchen, a coach arrived at the door. It was the prince's coach. He was here to ask the ladies of the house to try on the slipper. It's mine, the first stepsister said. She shoved her sister aside and grabbed the slipper from the prince, but her foot was too big. 
and try as she might, she couldn't cram her toes inside it. No, it's mine, the other stepsister insisted, taking the slipper from her. She tried to shove her foot inside, but her heel was too big for the delicate slipper. The prince sighed. Are there any more ladies in the house? he asked. While the stepmother was encouraging her daughters to try again to squeeze their large foot into the slipper, Cinderella stepped out of the kitchen. Might I try, stepmother? You? I'm sorry, your majesty. This is only a servant. She does not know her place. The stepmother tried to shoo Cinderella out of sight. Ignoring the stepmother, the prince met Cinderella's eyes. Could it be? Could this be his true love? He knelt down before her and held out the slipper. It fit perfectly. Soon after, Cinderella and the prince married. Her stepmother and stepsisters bowed before her and begged her to forgive them. Do you promise to be good for the rest of your lives? Cinderella asked. We do, they said. And they were forgiven. Cinderella lived in the palace happy and in love for the rest of her days. Her dream had come true. The End Jack and the Beanstalk Jack and his mother lived on a farm that had been facing recent hardship. A drought, which is a nice word for there was no more water. It wasn't raining and the water and the lakes and rivers and those kind of things were were dry. A drought had wiped out their crop for the summer and left them with no food to eat or sell. Take our cow and see what you can fetch for it, said his mother. But mother, without the cow, we'll have nothing left. Jack said, but they were desperate. The cow was the last chance for them to get any money. As Jack led his cow to the market, a beggar passed by. Jack looked forlorn and desperate, and this gave the beggar an idea. I'm interested in buying her, the beggar said. How much money can you offer? Jack asked, his face brightening. Perhaps this man could be their saving grace. I don't have many, but I do have these magic beans, the beggar said. They will give you all the riches you could ever imagine. Jack couldn't believe his luck. He knew his mother would be very proud for his bargaining skills. It was one thing to get money for the cow that they could quickly spend, but these beans would guarantee them money for life. But when Jack's mother saw the beans, she was furious. You fool, she cried. Now we have nothing. Now we are going to starve to death. She grabbed the beans from Jack and threw them out the window. Jack went to bed feeling guilty and with his stomach rumbling. Or was that rumbling coming from outside? The next morning there was a huge beanstalk growing in their garden. It was thicker than any great tree and so tall that it reached higher than the clouds. I'm going up there to explore, Jack told his mother. No, Jack, it looks dangerous, she said. Jack wanted to set things right. Against his mother's wishes, he scaled the beanstalk into the clouds. Higher and higher he climbed until his house was just a speck below. If it was me, I would have been freaking out. 
but he he doesn't seem to be afraid of heights, so good job for Jack. At the top of the beanstalk there was a house, more grand and prominent than anything Jack had ever seen before. Jack peeked through the window and spotted a loaf of bread on the table. Seeing no one nearby, he tiptoed inside and took a bite. Who are you? A voice said from behind. He spun around and came face to face with a very beautiful and very tall woman. I'm sorry, but I've traveled very far and I just needed a small bite of bread, Jack said. He hoped that this woman might have pity on him. Jack was in luck. The woman did not did want to help him. She sliced off a chunk of bread and gave him some cheese. Take this and hide, she said. Hide? My husband is a terrible giant. He eats boys like you. Just then the ground shook as the giant's footsteps came closer. Hurry, into the oven! Jack did as he was told. He jumped into the oven and washed through the vent in the back. Boy, this is a good way to get cooked, I think. The front door burst open, and a giant ducked his head as he stepped inside. Fee, fi, fo, fum, he bellowed. I smell the blood of an Englishman. Don't be silly, his wife said. It's only the meat I'm cooking for dinner. Jack watched as the giant sat at the table and feasted on the biggest steak he had ever seen. The giant then gobbled up a whole loaf of bread and had several glasses of wine. After all the food was gone from the table, the giant looked restless. Wife, bring me my goose, he said. His wife gave him a lovely white goose. On the giant's command, the goose began laying eggs, but these were no ordinary eggs. Jack couldn't believe his eyes. These eggs were solid gold. When the giant grew bored, he leaned back in his chair and closed his eyes. Soon, the room was filled with the sound of snoring, loud enough to shake the whole house. Jack quietly lifted himself out of the the oven. He was going to make a run for the door, but those golden eggs tempted him. Instead, he climbed up the table and grabbed the goose. Jack carefully and quietly made his way to the front door. Once he was outside, he ran as fast as possible toward the beanstalk. The goose began to squawk and flap her wings, but Jack was able to make it home safely. Back in his little farmhouse, his mother looked doubtful at the goose. Just wait, he said. Then he told the goose to lay her eggs, and when she did, they had a whole basketful of solid gold eggs. These eggs would fetch enough money to keep them comfortable and well-fed for life. Months passed. Jack was happy to have a full belly and not to have to worry about money anymore. But he couldn't stop thinking about the giant. What other magical things did he have that could make Jack rich? No offense, but he already is rich, so I think he's being a bit greedy. Without asking his mother's permission, he set off one day up the beanstalk. Through the window, he saw the giant's wife alone in the kitchen. How dare you show your face here, she said. My husband is distraught over losing that goose. Before Jack could argue, he heard the familiar pounding of approaching footsteps. Quick, into the cupboard, she said. Fee, fi, fo, fum, the giant bellowed. 
I smell the blood of an Englishman. Don't be silly, his wife said. It's only the meat I'm cooking for dinner. Once again, the giant devoured the feast in front of him. After dinner, he asked his wife to bring him his satchel of gold coins. He counted them and put them into stacks until he grew bored and fell asleep. Before the wife could stop him, Jack came out of hiding and climbing up to the table. He put the satchel of gold coins over his shoulder and ran. His mother was furious with him for sneaking out, but then she saw the gold coins and was pleased. The coins were enough to buy them a bigger house and fine clothes to wear. They would never have to farm again. This time, three years passed before Jack had the urge to climb the beanstalk again. Golden eggs and gold coins? What else was the giant hiding? Up the beanstalk he went. He walked cockier and a little more confidently now. He was no longer that desperate, hungry boy who had tried to take the giant's bread. This time, when he sneaked into the giant's house, no one was home. He took his time looking in cabinets and closets, hoping to find the giant's treasures. Then he heard the thump, thump of the giant's footsteps. Quickly, he jumped into a nearby wash bin and covered himself with soapy water. The giant couldn't smell him this time now that he was covered in soap. Jack watched as the giant's wife fixed him dinner, and he ate and ate until he couldn't fit any more food into his great big belly. Wife! Bring me my harp, he said. The giant's wife carried a golden harp to the table. The giant looked pleased. Much to Jack's surprise, instead of playing it, the giant commanded it to play. It sang the loveliest song Jack had ever heard. The song was so soothing that quickly the giant fell asleep, and his snores reverberated throughout the house. Reverberated means like it shook, that you could like feel it in the floor, and in the walls, and in your bones. Jack crawled up out of the tub and shook himself dry. He climbed up the table and took the singing harp under his arm. Surely a magical harp like this would make him the richest man in his town. When Jack reached the front door, the harp's song stopped. Afraid that this might wake up the giant, Jack began to run. The harp shouted, started to shout, Help! it yelled. This tiny man is stealing me! The giant woke up with a start, just in time to see Jack and the harp through the doorway. Jack ran with the harp and didn't look back. The rumble of the clouds was enough for him to know that the giant was close behind. He reached the beanstalk and began climbing down with the harp crying in his ear and the giant getting closer. When he reached the bottom, he called to his mother, Quick, give me an axe! Jack chopped the beanstalk until it started to tip over. Push! he said. The beanstalk toppled over with the giant on it. He crashed to his death in the fields nearby. Jack's mother hugged him, happy that he was safe. Jack knew he shouldn't have risked his life like that. He was content and wealthy for the rest of his days, glad never to see a beanstalk again. The End The Little Mermaid Deep below the surface of the ocean, there lived a mer-king and mer-queen who had six daughters. When each of the young mermaids turned fifteen, their parents permitted them to swim to the surface and see the world. 
The Little Mermaid was the youngest of the daughters, and each year she enviously waited for her turn to see the world above the surface. Finally, her fifteenth birthday arrived. The Little Mermaid anxiously swam to the surface and took her first breath of air. That night was particularly stormy, and the Little Mermaid struggled to keep her head above the surface as the waves washed around her. Just when she was ready to end her adventure and return to her home below the sea, she saw a large ship being tossed violently by the waves. The Little Mermaid swam closer, and there among the wreckage, a handsome ma human lay unconscious across a broken piece of the ship. There were no other humans in sight. The Little Mermaid knew that if she didn't help him, he would not survive. Swimming farther away than she ever had before, the Little Mermaid carried the handsome human to the shore. As she looked into his eyes, she couldn't help but fall in love. When the sun came up that morning, the human began to open his eyes. The Little Mermaid smiled at him, but before she could speak, she heard someone coming down the beach. Quickly, she jumped back into the ocean and hid underwater. A beautiful maiden approached the human on the beach. My dear prince, is that you? She took his hand in hers. A prince? The little mermaid had fallen in love with a prince. You, the prince sputtered, you saved me. The princess smiled, didn't correct him, and helped him back to the palace. The little mermaid knew she couldn't live underwater while her love was walking on land. She needed a way to get on shore and tell the prince that she was the one who saved him. She sought out the sea witch and begged her to turn her into a human. On one condition, little mermaid, the sea witch said. In exchange for a pair of legs, you'll have to give me your voice. Surely the prince could recognize her right away, with or without her voice. He knew he would know she was his true love, the one who had rescued him from the wreckage. One more thing, the sea witch said. The prince must choose you as his bride. If he doesn't, he will turn into sea foam. The little mermaid agreed. The next thing she knew, she was thrust onto the beach, her fins replaced with clumsy legs and with no way to call for help. A servant from the palace found her and helped her inside. When she was presented to the prince, he didn't remember her. Yet, she, he was enthralled by her beauty. He volunteered to show the Little Mermaid around the city. The more time he spent with her, the more he realized that he loved the maiden whom he believed rescued him, and not this quiet, clumsy girl. The Little Mermaid continued to fall in love, but the prince wanted no one except the maiden. On their wedding day, the Little Mermaid waited, grieving at the thought of becoming sea foam. The sea witch approached her on the beach. The Little Mermaid waited to beg for her fins back. She knew she had made a mistake, but of course, the Little Mermaid couldn't speak. All she could do was weep. My dear, my dear, stop your crying. I have just the thing to make everything better, the Sea Witch said. I'll offer you another deal. If you use this dagger to kill your prince, I will let you return to the sea with your fins restored. She left the dagger at the Little Mermaid's feet and disappeared into the water. The Little Mermaid wanted nothing more than to return home to the Mer King and Mer Queen and her sisters. 
She hid the dagger and walked back to the palace. That night, when the prince was sound asleep, she sneaked into his bedroom and stood over him as he slept. She felt the weight of the dagger in her hands, but the prince looked so happy, happy and peaceful. The little mermaid knew she couldn't go through with it. She softly kissed the prince's cheek goodbye and fled the palace to the, for the ocean to await her fate. Instead of becoming sea foam, because of her kindness, the sea witch transformed the little mermaid into a spirit of the air. She once swam in the sea as a mermaid and walked on the land on two legs, and now she could float forever among the clouds. The End So, that's it for tonight. I hope you're sleeping. But if you're not, just know, I love you. I'll see you in the morning. And good night.